Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hey everyone, it's Sanira here. CEO School is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We're part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcasts like Billion Dollar Moves, hosted by Sarah Chen Spellings. Join venture capitalist and strategist Sarah Chen Spellings as she asks the hard questions and learns through the triumphs, failures, and hard lessons of the creme de la creme so you too can make billion-dollar moves in venture, in business, and life. I recently enjoyed listening to Sarah share a discussion on the ethics of AI, finding inspiration, and executing that founder's vision while finding purpose along the way, even post-exit with the global pioneer of emotional AI, Rana L. Kalubi. Listen to Billion Dollar Moves wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School, the podcast. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and today I have a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist in our presence today, Joanne Lublin, who is an incredible author and a journalist for Wall Street Journal's first career column, and she still remains a regular contributor. She's the author of two books about female business leaders. This is going to be such an amazing episode. The first is Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. And the second one, which we'll talk about today that just got launched, is called Power Moms, How Executive Mothers Navigate Work and Life. And you know this is a topic that's near and dear to CEO school's heart. Um, And Working Mother Medium actually just ranked the book as one of the best books for working moms in 2021. Um, You know, Joanne has just won so many accolades over the years, including a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from the Loeb Awards, which is honestly the highest accolade that you can achieve as a journalist in business. And so, Joanne, welcome to CEO School. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) No, we're so excited. I have the book right in front of me, Power Moms. I would love to just get a quick background about your journey a little bit, what led you to write this book. And I'm just so excited because I know that you've interviewed so many working executive mothers in all different categories to write this. So I'm like dying to dig into it. But before we do, tell us a little bit about your background as a, a journalist and an author. And a mom. Let's and a not mother. That one. Yes. <laughs> very, very important. So I spent my entire professional career at the Wall Street Journal. I was hired straight out of graduate school. At, I went to Stanford. When I joined the Wall Street Journal in the early 1970s, there were only about a dozen women in the whole news department. And I was the first woman hired as a full-time reporter in the San Francisco Bureau. 
And that first day in the bureau was a real eye-opener to me because it's all guys and me, and several of the guys have pin-up calendars above their desks. Shut up. And in case you don't know what that is, that's where you have a different nude for every month of the year. So I thought, jeepers, is this what it's like to I'm be like a just, professional journalist? Like, I what did I am dying right now. This can't be true. News. It was. It was. It was absolutely true. So wait. So I go out and I buy a calendar with male nudes ah! for every month. What was your reaction? Right? You're such a baddie. Well, I put it up on what was then called a bulletin board, which is what you had in your office at the time. And it stayed there for about 24 hours and then disappeared and nobody had any idea where it went. And that was my introduction to being a woman in the workplace. Oh my God. And so fast What forward. an intro. Power to Joanne <laughs> over here. That's what we call a power move right there. What year was that? 1971, God, over a half a century. So, ago. did they take down their nudes? No, no, no. Okay. However, however, <laughs> when you I made left your point. the bureau two years, when I left the bureau two years later, the going away card was a fold out about two foot wide card that was of a male nude with his hand over his private parts and all the guys signed on his hand best of luck ah! oh my god that's honestly the best story that we've gotten all year on this podcast so far that is awesome I, I moved from San Francisco to Chicago, from Chicago to Washington, and then moved into management with the journal. I became the uh, number two. Does person. like Wall Street Journal know about this? Like, have you like this? Like, have you shared this story in the paper? Uh, in 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 print in the Wall Street Journal? No, okay. I have I've shared the story in many many speeches about both of my books. Oh my god, that's so awesome, Joanne! I love and, it. And the out fold out card was of an actor who's no longer with us, but at the time was very, very, very young and very handsome named Burt Reynolds. Oh and my God. He was the first male nude to pose for the centerfold of, um, I believe, um, one of the more famous women's magazines. And of course, that was the image on that card. So but they remembered case. you made a statement that was a power move and it stuck that this woman is not to be pushed around. She is here to, you know, make sure that make sure that she's she's heard and seen. So well, that's awesome. Well, not only that, but when a story I wrote or an honorable mention in the local press club competition, the guys in the bureau got it. And they said, Joanne, you have to boycott this dinner that you've been invited to because at that time, the San Francisco Press Club, as was true for most press clubs in major cities all over the country, did not admit women as members. Oh, no. Duh. Women have been journalists in this country since the Civil War. And I said, uh, mon frère, mes frères, you've got it all wrong. If I don't go and get my honorable mention for this story I wrote, how will they ever let women in the door at yeah. the San Francisco Press Club? So I did. And a couple of years later, lo and behold, they opened the doors to women in press clubs there and all around the country. And in fact, at the time when I joined the journal, there were business clubs that didn't admit women as members. And when I would have to go to these business clubs to cover a local chief executive giving a speech about his or her, no, his or her, his company, I would have to go in the back door where the kitchen staff came to work because women weren't allowed through the front door. 
So, you know, for every woman and particularly every female entrepreneur who is watching this today, who thinks it's still hard, and it is incredibly hard, as we all know, to get a business going and to raise money, particularly as a woman, it was incredibly harder <laughs> when I started out. And that was the reason why I did the first book, Earning It, and equal important why I did my latest book. I wanted to know, particularly for women who go into the workforce and become executives and have children, has it gotten any better for the younger way, women in their 30s and early 40s when I reported this book, compared to the boomer generation, my generation, who were the trailblazers that I wrote about in Earning It, for whom they often not only were the only working woman in management, they were often only the only woman in senior management. And so that's what Power Moms is about. It's a compare and contrast of two generations of women who get to be executives and somewhere along the way have a kid or two. Oh my God. This is just like, this is everything, by the way. Like you've just made our year. This is everything. We thank you for all of the hardships that you have endured and like really setting trailblazing the path for women um, to come. Right. And that's what, that's what you've done. And we're trying to do the same as well. And unfortunately we wish that the gap has gotten much smaller, but Joanne, you and I both know that we're still in a pretty shitty predicament right now. Um, as women in the workforce, women raising capital, women starting businesses, the stats are still horrendous. And so I would love to get your perspective um, you know, as a boomer, what do you think about what's happening today? And like, why hasn't it progressed faster? Or do you, what do you think about the progression um, over the last 30 years uh, since you've been in the workforce and many women are now entering the workforce? So what I wasn't sure I would find is any sense of progress when I interviewed these 86 executive mothers. I was actually quite surprised and not only did I look at these two generations of women who became mothers and executives, I also interviewed 25 young adult daughters of the boomers, mm. for the most part, were Gen Zs. And so it's kind of a two and a half generation look. And what I was quite delighted to discover is there have been huge gains for women who are in the younger wave, women who were Gen Xers and millennials when I, I interviewed them for this book. And it's mostly because, number one, they are choosing life partners differently than the boomers did. They are choosing men or women as their life partners who are committed to being a two-career household, who are committed to being co-parents. And they're working out some of those commitments before they enter into a long-term relationship. Secondly, the workplace has changed. There are many, many companies now where they actually walk the talk in terms of trying to advance women and people of color. When boomers were entering the workplace, if you didn't like how women were treated where you worked, you could go work somewhere else where they, you didn't like how they treated women. And so there were fewer options in terms of where you went. There also obviously were fewer companies that were being started by women. A number of the women, particularly from the younger wave in Power Moms, are women who at some point did work for a larger company and you had to do that to qualify, but then on their own decided corporate America was not for them. 
So these women did become entrepreneurs, did start their own companies, where not only they could choose to offer a product or service that they thought the market wanted, but they could create their own corporate culture, one that was family friendly. And the third change that I saw among these two generations was that more women were in management. So many of the boomer moms that I interviewed were the first woman to get into senior management, whereas the younger wave of women who are coming into senior management now have many role models. It's not enough, as we know, but there are women who are senior executives who not only can be their sponsors, their advocates, and talk up how great they are, but they can say, here's what worked for me, here's what didn't. The older women, the boomer moms, not only had very few role models, they didn't have networks, they didn't have websites, they didn't have support groups, they didn't have ERGs. It was very much like being a pioneer in the 1800s in our country, where you're essentially trailblazing. You're going where no one has gone before. It was obviously very exciting, but it's also a very lonely kind of trail to be on. Oh, no, I, I love this. I mean, I, I, I do see the shift in many things for sure that have progressed, you know, but I, I'll tell you honestly, Joanne, like as a woman in business, as an executive, as a mother, um, you know, that has built a billion dollar business, like it has been so lonely. It's still so lonely as a woman, especially the higher that you climb and especially in many sectors, like in industries like in fintech and technology, like it's still just not there. Um, and I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm a mother of two daughters and I know that I'm a girl mom for a reason. So, you know, my prayer is that, you know, in my daughter's lifetime that, you know, that she'll have all of the, you know, that, that freedom that obviously that you've trailblazed and that we're trying to, you know, set the course right for, but it's just still, it's still just not there. So I'm excited to actually dive into power moms because I do think that there has been a shift in the workplace setting. I do think that there is still a lot of work to be done from a entrepreneurial female, female entrepreneur landscape. Um, and there's just work to be done everywhere, but work's not done. Progress is being made. Let's talk about power moms. What defines a power mom? What is a power mom? Well, like I was alluding to before, to qualify to be interviewed for the book, you had to at some point in your career have worked for a company with at least $100 million in revenue. Okay. So I really wanted to talk to women who had experienced what I consider to be corporate America. I didn't care where you were working now or where you had just retired from. And that is how I was able to widen the lens and include a, a number of entrepreneurs, particularly among the, the, this younger wave of, of women. And, and basically that was the, the, the criterion. You had to have had children or adopted children at some point in your career. I didn't care when that happened. I did notice that as a rule, it seemed that the boomers tended to have their kids at younger ages than the Gen Xers and the millennials. I think the millennials once again had learned some lessons from these women who had gone before them. They recognized not only the fact that if you wait until your 30s rather than your 20s to start childbearing, you're probably going to be more secure career-wise, you're maybe more economically uh, in, a, in a steadier type of situation, 
You may be more self-confident about the fact that your long-term or marital relationship is going to last. So many of these boomer moms felt like they not only were alone, but they had to essentially figure out the solutions to them by themselves or do what it was that society expected of them. I'll never forget this woman interview for Power Moms. She goes on to become the first female vice chair of General Electric, the bigger company you cannot imagine. Yet early in her career, she's working at a TV cable TV station on the evening shift. I believe her husband's a stockbroker. She gets a one-hour evening dinner break. What does she do? She goes home and cooks him dinner and then rushes back to the TV station. I asked her, why couldn't he make his own dinner? And she says, well, I don't know. That's just kind of what I, I was a newlywed. That's what I kind of thought wives did. And by the same token, when children got sick, the boomer moms would rarely ask the husband to stay home with a sick child. Again, there were very strict and much stricter than we have today, gendered role expectations. What's really holding back women today and men alike is the fact we still have to deal with these very subtle but persistent biases about what we think are the correct roles for men, mm -hmm. for women, for fathers, for mothers. Why is it that even if you work for a company that has a generous paid parental leave policy, relatively few men take advantage of it? No, that's a, that's a very fair point. But on the other, so what were some of the things like that you find that are like that haven't shifted on the gender role standpoint? Or do you feel like there has been a ton of flexibility there? Well, I think one of the things that hasn't changed is how women see themselves mm. and what they have or have to do to meet their own expectations for what makes for a good mother. So you had the younger wave power mom who's off in Singapore on a business trip, but she leaves her phone turned on overnight. What if her husband or her kids need her? But instead, the phone rings in the middle of the night, and it's the doorman in her apartment building in Manhattan saying that her grocery delivery has just arrived. Should he send up the bags of groceries? And she says, yes, please send up the groceries. And I said to her, why are you handling the ordering of the groceries? And not only that, leaving your phone on while you're on a business trip in Singapore. And she says, well, because I can do it better. And so this notion that we have to let go of our view yeah. of ourselves is must be perfect and only I can do it is one of the 10 hacks that I list in probably the most popular chapter in the book. Which, which is chapter called, is that which, one? Because I want to go straight to that one. It's working mother guilt. If you're anything like me, your 2023 is probably off to a very busy start. As a leader, aligning your teams on a shared mission and goal for the year can be challenging. But with HubSpot CRM, you can keep your marketing, sales, operations, and service teams in sync on one powerful platform that grows with your business and leaves your competition in the dust. Capture leads, boost sales, and engage customers all from one platform. Tools like a unified contact record, help desk automation, and customizable reporting make it easy to unite your team around a single source of truth. This means you can spend less time managing your software and more time connecting with your customers. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. 
ditch working mother guilt. So as like from experience, so I have two kids. I will tell you when it comes to business all day long, I can give the advice on delegation and ensuring that let go of our perfection tendencies. But when it comes to my kids, Joanne, mother knows best. Like it is really hard for even me. I am a very successful CEO, very successful executive, and I can run a really tight ship at work. And at home, I we don't have, I would say that we have pretty awesome, like, um, you know, non-gender roles. My husband is a super co-parent, actually sometimes plays more of the mom role with like school things. And so we have like a really great partnership. But there is that level of like, mom, I just, I will tell you, like at the end of the day, when my kids need something, they will still come to me and I will find it in a second and it'll take me one second to solve the problem. Whereas my husband, it'll still take him. It, it is. We, we are just more efficient than men at almost everything. And so it drives me crazy. But, but I, I do feel go. like you have to let go. I know. I know. For sure. I think it's such a great point and it's such a great reminder, but it is very hard, like, of especially with, it's the, with the kids. And, and several of these younger executive mothers, when they realized they could not be perfect, and not only that, they couldn't do everything all the time, yeah. particularly the mental load part of being a parent, which yes. is making sure that everybody gets their you know, shots done before they enter kindergarten. One of the one of the younger power moms they they threatened to not let her kids start kindergarten because the kid hadn't been vaccinated. Another one of the younger power moms, when she got a promotion and was going back to work after maternity leave, said to her husband, "Things have to change. You know, we need we need to do things differently." And he said, "I get it. I get it. How about?" because now they had two kids. I take the kids to the pediatrician for the regular checkups and I make the appointments. Gosh, sweetie, that would be fabulous. And then he says, okay, but what's the pediatrician's name and phone number again? Yeah. Duh. I mean, it wouldn't it be nice, right? That, you know, it, it, in a perfect world, in this perfectly work-life balanced world, right, that we could have that balance. But Joanne, I know you and I both don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life no integration. Way. And you believe in this concept called work-life sway. And it has been like on my list of burning questions to ask you, what is work-life sway? Because we're all about finding that integrated life, not a balanced life. But what is, what is work-life sway? Tell us about it. And how do we achieve it as power moms? Well, it's a concept I had certainly never heard of when I started reporting the book, but I became so enamored of work-life sway that when I turned in the manuscript, it was the subtitle. So the book was going to be called Power Moms, Secrets of Work-Life Sway from Two Generations of Executive Women. Well, the publisher said, Power Moms works as a title, but the subtitle, eh, no one will have any idea what you're talking about. And she was right. In fact, in my first book, Earning It, I had one chapter on the issue of work-life balance. And the title of that chapter came from a quote from one of those 52 women in the interview for the first book. The title of that chapter in the first book is called Manager Moms Are Not Acrobats. It's this notion that work-life balance is an impossible ideal. It's the equivalent of somehow maintaining that yoga pose where you bend your leg and put it against your knee for 24-7. But until I started meeting some of the younger women that I interviewed for Power Moms, 
I wasn't aware that there was an alternative. And the woman who introduced me to this herself epitomized work life's way. The concept is that when we have to be focused on a work task, we give 125% of ourselves and we don't think about all the other aspects of our life, meaning our family, our home, our quote unquote life. But when life intrudes, we sway out of work mode and into life mode and we give 125% of ourselves to that. She had described a situation that epitomized this and then when I was walking on the door, told me that it had a name. In her case, she's an executive at Phillips, the big auction house. One afternoon, she was at her office in Manhattan and a text, video text pops up on her phone and the nanny wants her to see her toddler walking for the first time. She is, of course, thrilled to, to have this happen, doesn't think for a moment about why this might somehow be disruptive to her at work. Instead, she leaves the office and goes home because she knows she can sway back into work mode when it's more appropriate and more convenient for her. The whole concept, however, is that we don't give ourselves guilt trips when we're in one phase of our lives over the other. We know that we can sway when we have to and be where we need to be when we have to. I love that. I love work-life sway. I mean, for me, I mean, I've I've had to juggle and balance everything. I just kind of take my kids everywhere I go for business and work and travel. They just miss a lot of school. <laughs> but how, how old are your children? Um, my youngest just turned four last week, and uh, Mila is six, so she's going to turn seven. So they're young, and they they've my they're just my loves and they've kind of watched their mom build a business and they're just for them like this is their life and they they're they're accustomed to and they're used to it but um that was kind of my way of trying to not have so much mom guilt was just by keeping them as like having the time as much as I could during breaks and after sessions and things like that and so that's how I was able to achieve as like little of work-life integration as I could. But I hear what you're saying on just not giving that guilt and allowing ourselves to sway when we need. So is this sway concept, is this like all like, is it all the time that you're swaying? Like you can sway, but, and do work environments really allow for sway, right? Because- I think during the pandemic, when so many office-based workers were working all the time from home, many of us began to embrace this concept whether we knew it had a name or not. But of mm-hmm. course, we also ran into the issue of because we were all working from home all the time, we could be working all the time. And so some of these women who I interviewed for the book, and I finished the interviews before the pandemic hit, but then did some follow-up conversations. In some cases, they put in boundaries In one case, there was an executive who had worked 100% remotely before the pandemic struck because she worked for a fully remote company, but her kids weren't underfoot. Now the kids were underfoot. Uh, Because she was at a company where 100% of the workforce already was remote, I think it was relatively easy for her to set some boundaries so that she could know there was a certain period of time every day, and in her case, it was 8 to 11 a.m. every morning, where she was totally unreachable by work. 
So when she needed to sway, it was less onerous and less of an issue for her because she also knew there was a dedicated period of time. There are companies who during the pandemic and I think continuing today have said, you know, we will not do meetings between X and Y time period to honor those who are continuing to work remotely or hybrid. Uh, particularly those who need to go pick up kids at school now that everybody's back. Yeah, but the the workforce isn't designed, has not been designed that way, right? It hasn't been designed when you look at- that's why we have entrepreneurs like you. (laughs) Yes, and it just has not been designed in a way to support families. Like it's, it's not designed, like in America, we're designed to work. We, we live to work, not work to live. Uh, and if you look at other countries around the world, like, you know, in Europe, they'll shut down businesses during the day because it's time for, uh, you know, time for a break. It's time for a nap. It's time to have a long lunch with your family. And that quality of family over business has not been in the American capitalist structure. And then it's also benefited capitalism in America as well, right? So there's like the, like, you know, there's there's benefits from a, uh, cap, you know, from a capitalism standpoint that we've also benefited from. But it's a rat race, right? It's a rat race that we live in. And work is the, in essence, the number one priority. It's what defines us as human beings. And I think that that's what I'm really excited to see, see a lot more from Gen Z. So from our employees and our team standpoint, we have, you know, workers, you know, at, at, in every generation. But what I find that I love the best about working with the Gen Zers is like their vision of the world and their value of work is much different, even than the millennials and, you know, the 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 Gen Xers that came before. Their value of time and quality of that time, boundary setting is just actually, it's very admirable um, and a little scary too, <laughs> but very admirable. And I, I, I think that there might be a lot of change in the capitalism of, of how we operate in America today with some of these hopeful changes to put prioritization of self, mental health, family first. And I think there's been a seismic shift because of this successful experiment with work from home. Yeah. A very small percentage of white collar workers had the privilege, had the ability to work primarily from home pre-pandemic. No one thought productivity could remain the same when we were forced to have these kinds of work arrangements. That and a different attitude among the younger people who have been joining the workplace since the pandemic, I think is profoundly affecting how companies operate. Look at all the companies that have mandated that you have to come back to the office now X days a week, where they're having to kind of look the other way because guess what? Not everybody thinks that's such a hunky-dory way to work. Why do I have to have my body in an office on Tuesdays and Thursdays or Mondays and Wednesdays or whenever? Yeah. I think that there's a lot, a lot of change that's happening. I love your perspective of capturing the different generations and the outlooks to really see the juxtaposition between the generations, the progress that's being made. 
Um, I just have really enjoyed our conversation and it does, it makes me feel really grateful of the work that you've done, the work that we're continuing to do to hopefully create a more, all we ask for is just a more equitable world, right? We're not, you know, feminism, I always like to say, isn't women are greater than men. Feminism is equality. That is it. We just want equality and parity. I just want the same opportunities that are given to a man. I just want the right to have those same opportunities. And I think that um, it's so exciting. I'm so excited for our, to dive into Power Moms. I'm so excited for our audience to dive into Power Moms. Where can we get a copy? I know I grabbed mine at the local Barnes & Noble, um, but we'll be sharing it in the show notes. How can we support you, follow you along? Um, sure. Where can we find your, um, you know, your column check out, currently? Check out, check out my website, okay. Joanne Lubin, J-O-A-N-N-L-U-B-L-I-N.com. At the very top of the homepage on my website are easy links to six different online retailers. I am agnostic. I don't favor one over the other. Real easy, one click and you can order the book. If you decide to buy a hardback version, I would be happy to send you a personalized autographed book plate that praises you for having been brave enough to be a woman in the workplace, particularly if you're a woman with kids. And that's the other thing that I think was a really startling revelation from this book. It turns out that parenthood actually makes us better bosses. Mm, it does. We're more productive with our time. We know how to delegate. We know how to, you know, multitask. But as women in particular, when we become parents, we understand the importance of patience, the importance of empathy, and the importance of mentoring because we do that with our children every day. And night. I love it. I'm so excited to get to have everyone grab a copy. Joanne, thank you for all that you do. I'm so excited to deep dive into this book. Thanks for being on the show, sharing your wisdom, your stories. I definitely enjoyed our conversation. I feel so grateful for it. I know the women listening um, also enjoyed it. Let's all show Joanne our love. Uh, I see you're on Instagram, so let's DM her and tell her we, 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 you know, screenshot this episode. Let's tag her all over social media because LinkedIn. Joanne, have you ever been called a baddie before? I think that this might be uh a moment that we had with that pinup. No, what is a baddie? Pray tell. A baddie is a modern day woman who is a badass. I have been called a badass. Yeah. Well, you are a badass. And, so, and in our definition, you are a baddie. And I'm so excited about now doing the work-life sway. Uh, this has been so fun. Thank you for all you do. Everyone, grab your copy of Power Moms. I hope you enjoyed today's episode at CEO School. I will see you next week with another amazing guest. Uh, and thank you so much for your time and listening. We love all of you. We could not be here without your listenership. If you loved it, screenshot this, share it, share it, share it, write a review. We're sending out swag and let's show Joanne our love all over Instagram. Um, I'll see you guys next week at CEO School. Hey, everyone. It's Sanira here. CEO School is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We're part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcasts like Billion Dollar Moves, hosted by Sarah Chen Spellings. Join venture capitalist and strategist Sarah Chen Spellings as she asks the hard questions and learns through the triumphs, failures, and hard lessons of the creme de la creme so you too can make billion-dollar moves in venture, in business, and life. 
I recently enjoyed listening to Sarah share a discussion on the ethics of AI, finding inspiration and executing that founder's vision while finding purpose along the way, even post-exit with the global pioneer of emotional AI, Rana L. Kalubi. Listen to Billion Dollar Moves wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.